0: Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. like that view there we go fact check this podcast and today i am joined by brother stokes and we are going to talk about race and a little bit of since the since the whole roe v wade thing happened this week uh i'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that kind of stuff um probably not in the way that most people are going to talk about that sort of thing though um <laughs> we're we we're I guess the plan is we are going to talk more about what's going on in the world, what's going on in our communities, and how can we have an impact on the men in our lives and building a generation of leaders in these communities. So, Brother Stokes, why don't you uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, and then we'll kind of jump right into it, because I, I, think, I think we're going to cover a lot of really deep mm-hmm. and, and good content with this.
1: Most definitely, most definitely. First and foremost, can you hear me clearly? Yes, sir. All want right. gonna make sure that I'm doing that correctly. Okay, so uh, my name is B. Shelby Stokes, affectionately known as Brother Stokes. That's a nickname that's been, I've been carrying since about 2004, 2005. Uh, it is also a family nickname. Um, I am by trade a plumber. I work in municipal work. Uh, I work for what's known as a public works department uh, in a mid-level town, Uh, not a small city, but a mid-level town (laughs) here in the South, in in, uh, South Carolina. Very enjoyable work. It allows me to utilize all my talents. But my passion in life since 2004 has been the development of men within the Black community, primarily based through scriptural readings, but I transitioned away from that into just full-on one-on-one mentoring, life skills training, as well as uh, in our neighborhoods, in our community, since I'm not licensed as a therapist or a family counselor, we just say he's a wise counsel or a big brother. That's normally how people say it. I get the term OG a lot as well, yet uh, that's because I'm 50. You can see the gray. But um, <laughs> but outside of that, yeah, um, I do get involved a little bit in politics. Uh, I do get involved uh, in these types of exchanges because it is beneficial, it's proper, because I want those of us as men in particular let's 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 remove race, let's remove cultural background let's remove uh socioeconomic levels. I just want men to understand that you really are the author and the finisher of your destiny you You may run into all manner of interruptions or outside forces attempting to stymie you or stifle you yet. If you really truly sit and employ critical thinking skills, and you happen to have a group of men around you who want to see you succeed, you will succeed. There is no if-ands and buts about it. You will succeed. So that's pretty much where I'm at, what I'm about, what I do, and so we can we can jump off from there.
0: I was gonna say let's let's kind of jump into it right at that point because there is something that's been going on in i would say over the last at least the last 30 years that that i've really seen it um because i'm i'm almost 40 so i've really seen it in my lifetime there has been a huge negative stigmatization of men of turning men turning men's strength against them and forcing men to be weak forcing men to not be accountable, forcing men to, to not be leaders like they're supposed to be. And you, you really see it. You really see its prevalence in black communities. Um, Mm -hmm. men in black communities have been almost eradicated. Like the, you, you don't see, especially in Southern communities, you don't see men having those strong, uh, leadership type roles that you did at one time. Like Correct. The, black, the black church used to be a thing where you had these really outspoken and very uh, you know, very strong male leaders that came through from black churches that led black communities. It's, it's what really built those black communities in the, in the 50s and 60s that led up to the civil rights era. And mm-hmm. there was something that happened uh, you know, post-civil rights era that removed that influence from those communities. Can you talk to that or like talk about what Ooh. you've seen as, as that shift? And then also what what is kind of the, the combating of that to, to move things back in the right direction? Because I like for me you for, for where I'm from, I see a lot of, I see a lot of like young black men who are like my age that are becoming prevalent self-business or self have their own businesses like do things for themselves that are strong pillars of their community and of their families again and like that's that's something that had been missing for a good 20-year stretch and it's coming back and that's that's a good thing that's that's a step in the right direction so so speak to some of that shift both away from and now maybe even back to uh Uh, having a strong a strong place in community
1: this this would fall in line with uh what could be called political yet i would say to your viewers those that understand uh american society and let's 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 actually carve out that time period 1969 to present day so concerning the black community particularly solely you would have what would be called the ending of the civil rights era, the ending of what would be called self-reliance, a self-reliance movement, what we call uh, Black pride, what we call uh, Black love movement by way of our music, our particular politics in our neighborhoods, Organizations and um, associations that were truly created by us for us. Then you have what is known widely in America as Quintel Pro. Now that's a big that's a big umbrella. It's a it's a big mishmash of, of items yet to the Black community on a everyday ground level, I got to go to work, you know, deal with my children uh, type of way. COINTELPRO made it where the beginnings of, and I'm going to use a heavy word, the beginnings of the disrespect of Black men within their own household by Black women was the movement pushed and this is going to sound crazy, but it is the truth for black community pushed by the government. One of the biggest examples I can give to that, and you can check it in your history books, is that the United States government through the HUD organization uh housing and urban development, uh, instituted rules within the application process for what's called public housing that any woman, of course they didn't label race, but they said any woman that was applying for this, first and foremost, could not be married and secondly, a man could not ever be housed within the dwelling. And so that in itself made a a wedge. Now, why did the wedge occur? We can bring that back to what we can call personal accountability. Yet that was something that was on that front side, 1969, 70, 75, all the way up to present day. That rule has never went nowhere. That rule is still on the books, It's still in HUD's uh, uh, application process, And it is well known within the black community that if a woman attempts to go get public housing, this is something that she has to navigate, negotiate, if she has a boyfriend, a father of her children, or even a husband. What's another thing? uh, From the black American side of the board, quotas probably although we thought they were good at the time, black people entering into the middle class, quotas killed business ownership. And when I say quotas killed business ownership, you had a lot of respectable black men in the community who owned dry cleaners, grocery stores, gas stations. Uh, They were mechanics, plumbers, electricians, carpenters. And they really were, as we call them today, pillars, black backbone of the community. But when corporatization entered into the American landscape and the desire for and it's not a wrong desire, the desire for a college education and the furtherance of your college education and then to enter into the corporate atmosphere, the quota was looked at in some sectors of black America as being the thing that killed the black community. See, we have black neighborhoods today. We don't have black communities. And now I'm gonna to speak to the church. The church is still there. It may be outdated to the young black American today in the sense of a cultural application, but it is still to this day, one of the greatest institutions where you can go as a black American and receive everything you need from wise counsel to clothes, food, and possible uh, admittance into shelter. You
0: you brought up the you brought up the push for college education. How has that impacted the Black community? So statistically speaking, African American females are the highest end of the most college educated in the USA. Um, There are more African-American females getting degrees now than any other demographic. But at the other end of that, I I don't know that it's at the very bottom, but Mm -hmm. black men are very close to the bottom of that list. Mm -hmm. How, How has that, I don't necessarily know if there's a way to, um, to quantify it, but ha- how, do you, how do you view that in having impacted the African-American community?
1: Well, as far as being educated, we in the African-American community, or I, I use term black, I will I will not apologize for that. I use term black. In the black community, we view education like anybody else. We say it is important. It is very, very, very important to be well-read, to know words, to have your verbiage right, to have your grammar and syntax right. It is very much touted and promoted. Education will be for the entire community, almost like our Jesus, you gotta be able to know what you're looking at. You got to be aware of your surroundings. You got to know what you're reading. you got to know the ins and outs and the contextual applications that come with um, anything that you find yourself in front of. and education is how you arrive at the ability to be able to master, conquer, or even push past what is in front of you. So yes, education is important, I would tell any any young black american any young black person worldwide get an education get an education stay in school yes get that masters degree get that phd get two phd i don't care what i will also say is this though don't become so education so focused on education that you miss your landscape around you. and that's what happened to a lot of black men Again, going back to now we're talking political politics, um, a lot of black men were put, oh, I know I'm saying this and I know it's going to hurt some people, were put in situations that there was no good outcome for them. So the choices that they made, particularly early in life, 15, 16, 17, prevented them from being able to make the choice of furthering their education. A lot of our men between 74, 74, 75 to about 95, 98. A lot of our men really were as we use the term, caught up in that horrible cycle of in and out of jail, in and out of prison. Because you had a lot of laws that just people didn't know about because they weren't educated. And so since they were caught up in that cycle, in that system, in this, in this what we call a prison industrial complex, they go for three years, two years, they get out, they, they have probation or an extended parole. Uh, sometimes to the point of where you have young men that did maybe two years in jail, but they were on parole for 12 years or 10 years. And so now they're constantly violating parole and getting what we call tiki tack charges added on. And now they go back for another three years or they go back for another two years. And so they're just in and out, in and out. And when you psychologically have been, suffering that, you really, truly are not thinking about furthering your education, even though it could have been offered inside those institutions, those prisons. You still, you're just trying to survive day to day. You're just trying to make it day to day. You're trying to keep your mind intact. And then you had, of course, the scourge of crack cocaine that ravaged the community. And just by nature of men wanting to protect their daughters, we did more to make sure that our girls stayed away from just regularly than we did our boys because again we're men we're you know you got to fight you got to get out there you got to tough it out you got to go through so we we just were not aware because the level of education hadn't met the conditions of the current times we were living in and it was, you know, and and some in our community will say, and I will not combat them saying, it was an engineered epidemic. It was totally put in place to get the outcome. I, I remember, and I'm going to stop when I say this, I remember watching a young black comedian about 22, 23 years old, and he had a joke about going home for Thanksgiving. And he brought his girlfriend with him. But his outfit, he had pink socks on. And he got an uncle that's about 60. And he said his uncle looked at him and said, Why all you young niggas is gay? And he goes, <laughs> Like J. Edgar Hoover. That's the reason. <laughs> he was, and then he went on inside his joke to explain that the FBI through Cointel Pro and everything else. And he said, and the end of the joke that made you laugh is thus raising leaving our mothers to raise a generation of sassy-ass black boys. And and that is the vision board. So that is something that is talked about in our communities. And being a product of my community, I can tell you that I wouldn't combat anybody saying it. Even if I may not totally 100% believe in it, I'm not going to combat you saying it because I know for a fact that I've experienced things in life that some people would probably tell me, "Oh, that's in your head. I'm not crazy. I experience what I experience."
0: Oh, I was gonna say. I mean, that, that's something that I was gonna ask if you what your opinion was on the uh, intentionality of that of um, through that that twenty year or so time period of of black men being cycled through prison and probation and all of that. And that it, it creating this kind of a a void. Um, I was gonna ask if you, if you saw the intentionality of that with just the design of how uh, some of the governmental structures work because for me as a student of history and especially as a student of military history, uh, one of the most effective ways to weaken and, when a battle against another uh, people is to weaken and remove the fighting force of that people and to to deliberately take the strong male aspect of the black community and remove it or create levels of separation from the black males and the, the whole of the community. That that weakens, uh, that weakens that community and it makes them more susceptible
1: to to be conquered. If I may, because you did say something that is again one of those places where if you strip away the the, the, the the curtain that is called race and you utilize the same principle military wise, taking out the men to weaken. Why would you? It, okay, I'm going to make an a, a statement of assumption. Why would you say it's not widespread amongst your community in America?
0: So this actually brings us to a an interesting uh, intersection in this in this conversation because I come from a very rural, uh. A very rural, poor white background. Uh, not me, particular. My my family is on a farm and fairly well off. But for the most part, the people that I was raised with and around, and and in the community that I grew up in, um, not having a prevalent father figure was not uncommon. and And you see that in you see that in rural white communities as well. You see it all through Appalachia. You see it all through like the Rust Belt. That um, white males in what you might consider like the redneck communities have been removed in a similar fashion as what black males have been in black communities. Um, and it's like, and it's happened along a similar timeline. So it's, it has weakened the rural communities as well. I think it's why you see more of the industrialized farming that you see now instead of Mm -hmm. small family farms and stuff like that, because they have managed to, by design, remove a lot of, uh, so like when I was growing up, our farm community was Mm -hmm. a dozen like small farmers who were all very tight knit. And if something happened, you could rely on all of those guys to get together and to go do whatever was necessary. Like they ran volunteer fire departments, stuff like that. All of the churches were a tight knit group of all of these farming, like farming households, that that came together to do stuff. Uh, most of those farms are now uh, instead of it being a dozen smaller farmers, it's maybe two huge farmers, and there, you don't have that community connection anymore. Like uh, it's happening in rural America the same way that it's happening in in black communities, and and it gets it gets largely ignored on both fronts. I think, um, like this whole moving towards the government being this leviathan that takes care of everything. Uh, it has stripped us of our individual, individualism. It's stripped of us, stripped us of our communities. So yeah, I mean, I see it. I see it happening in, in my home communities as much as I see it happening in the black communities, which is why Uh, which is a part of why I wanted to talk about and address it because it's not just happening. I think, I think one of the things that you see in the United States today, um, they get hated on quite a bit for varying degrees of, of reasoning, but Asian communities are still very strong and Hispanic communities are growing and becoming stronger and they both have strong male figures who are leading those communities, um, and that's why I think, in my opinion, it's why Black communities and rural white communities are falling behind is because that that strong male presence has been stripped away, and you, they just can't keep
1: up. Um, um, you're 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 saying something that, again, like you said, it echoes across because what I call it is a and unfortunately we've had politicians to take this phraseology and turn it into something that triggers anger amongst a group of people of different cultural backgrounds but we there is nothing wrong with being about your people first there is nothing wrong with that uh me and you have had a conversation prior to this uh opportunity to speak. And I expressed to you that one of the greatest lessons my father taught me growing up, you can't tell a man across the street how to improve his yard until after you've made your yard beautiful. Now that's me moving it around. But I can't walk across the street and tell this man, oh man, your yard is tearing up the neighborhood. It's making it look dirty and nasty. And my yard is all screwed up at the same time. That's not, that's not what is your job. Get your yard straight first. Once you get your yard straight, then you may have the opportunity, but you got to know how to approach your neighbor. You would hope that you have built a bridge to your neighbor to be able to speak to them in such a way where you can go, for example, look at my yard. And I'm not trying to make your yard my yard. I'm just saying I might have a few tips that could assist you in making sure your yard. But I want you to take care of your yard. So there's nothing wrong with that. What I think we have, like you said, government as a behemoth has done is put us in a position. And this is what I love about the young people today government put us in a position for about 70, 60, 70 years. I would say, (laughs) I would say longer than that. I would say probably from the, the crash of 29 to present day, the government has put the entire country in a position to not know how not to look at it as you gotta save me. And one of the things that I always promote when I'm counseling men or mentoring men or giving out life skills to young men is I always tell them, you don't never wanna be in another man's pocket longer than 90 days. If you gotta be in a man's pocket longer than 90 days, you run the risk of becoming that man's second wife or that man's daughter or that man's, you know, Concubine, however you want to put the derogatory statement on it, you run that risk because men by nature, if they know they got power over you they they we are susceptible to abusing that we just know what history says, so it is not our duty and 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 I'm glad that you brought that up too about the example of the ten to twelve small farms but everybody operated as a cohesive unit together. You're right. We miss that. We need that. And it is coming back. I'm seeing younger black men, especially in this day and age through the internet and the advances of technology, they're forming these collectives. They're, they're saying these things and they're making these things happen.
0: Yeah. And that is a, that's something that I've noticed too in uh, like in my old community back home with people that I grew up with and knew, you're starting to see that the the young men, and, and when I say young men, I do mean like, you know, my age, but they are, they're raising their families. They're there. They are building their communities. They're active members in their churches. They're active members in the schools, like helping to uh, teach other young men and encouraging other young men to go to college, to get a degree, not to, not to be put in a position where they're, at 16 years old having to take care of a family and and do all of this stuff they're having the opportunity to actually grow up and to do it the right way so that that is something that um it's a step in the right direction and it's you know something that that was missing for 20 or 30 years for you know for whatever reason uh, all of the varying reasons that we've already talked about you know it created that void and now now that void is being filled So what I have concerns about is as we're seeing the void being filled and we're seeing that start to realign itself, um, do you have any concerns that it takes a step backwards? Um, Like there are, there's a lot going on. And a lot of it is, a lot of what's gone on over the last six years or so has really been seemingly been trying to drum up A, a new race war, and Mm -hmm. it seems to be manufactured, as opposed to real. Um, Like there, I can remember racial tensions in the eighties and nineties that were very real. Um, I was too, I was too young for it to directly affect me, but I had cousins who were old enough that they were part of it. Um, I, I remember how some of that stuff would rock our community when there would be tensions Mm -hmm. um it feels like the stuff that's coming around of the last six years has been heavily produced and not necessarily real and i do think that is a i don't know that a positive thing is the right wording for it but Mm -hmm. i think people see that it's manufactured see that it's not real and and the there are a lot in both communities that aren't buying into it because it's because it's fake. Um, mm-hmm. Do you see anything like what's been really getting drummed up over the last six years as having the potential to push us back in the, in the wrong direction? Or do you think we're mature enough maybe as a society that we're starting to move past that and, and there is going to be uh, continual progress being made to to not not go back on on what had happened in the like say the, the 80s and 90s.
1: I really want to applaud you for asking that question because from our community the threat is always prevalent because okay I'm not going to go all the way out the way of your question. Because of our historic entrance into this country we have never felt two feet on the ground. We're secure. It's always a, oh, they could if they wanted to. So the, in the last six years, the emergence of these different isms, let's put it under that title, these different isms, we view it in the black community. And again, we're not a monolith like your community. So it's not a everybody thinks this same way. But we view it more along the lines of what is the play after? Not so much what's in front of my, it's like a magic trick. I see you moving your hand in my face, but where's your other hand? Like, that's how we view it. Like, what does this really mean? And the reason why we do that is because everything we view today is through the historic lens of when they did this, that came. When we when we saw this, that came. So, how does it affect us, and am I fearful that it will regress? Um, it affects us in the way that we have to plan. A lot of a lot of our community are making plans in uh, okay, making plans through business ownership. We're we're looking at wanting to own more businesses, wanting more businesses not only in metropolitan cities, but in small rural areas. We're wanting to own land. We have a, a, a thrive, uh, well, I won't say thriving, but it's on its way back. We have a lot of young Black people who are interested in farming again, and they want to farm and they want to grow food and they want to grow organic food and, and raise, uh, uh, what, what, what's the word you call? the livestock, but you do it in an ethical manner.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, um, homesteading and doing all the, uh, the free range chickens and- and
1: free range. yeah, that's it, free range, grass fed, grass yeah. fed, that's what I was looking for. So we have a lot of young black people that are there. We have a lot of young black um, fabricators and uh, chemists and structural engineers So we're combating it by definitely promoting our our emergence because we were always there. Our emergence in those types of fields that do gain our foothold in these areas in the future. Will it regress? It always has a chance to regress, man. It really does. And that, I think, we can no longer lead to the politicians, just as in general. We, 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 we've allowed in our community for the past 50 to 60 years, we've allowed politicians to just come in every four years, razzle and dazzle us with, with words and sermons, and then they get our vote. This generation of young Black Americans are like, no, no, I'm not falling for the okey doke no more. You got to prove to me. You got. We have a young man uh, in South Carolina. Um, I would. I, you know, again, I, I do know your 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 political structure and and what you stand on. And um, I would. Uh, I'm investigating it more for myself because I I classify myself as an independent. Uh, I there are no permanent friends there are no permanent enemies there's only permanent interests so i'm independent um but yes standing on your 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 foundation politically uh the young man marcel i forget his last name right now but he just ran here in south carolina i know who you're talking about too and i can't place his last name either damn it Why? now he got he got okay so overall Jim Clyburn got 30-some thousand votes in a district that holds somewhere near 300,000 people. Marcel got, I think, 8,500 votes. And, of course, you know, they tried to frame it as, okay, he he tried, but he didn't. But the kids, and I truly say kids, the kids are like, no, you're going to be there next time. We got you next time. Because he is that new wave. We're not believing what you're saying. We're not just going to accept the tap dance. You got to prove. You got to put it. in. And I see that on ground day to day. So will it regress? I'm going to say no, it, it won't. But it always has a chance to regress, man. It always has a chance to regress.
0: If, if, if young people are sincerely not not buying the whole dog and pony show of, you know, offering this thing for your vote all the time, because that's, I mean, that's all they have to to rely on is offering you something that you could honestly get better on your own. Um, if the young people, if the young generation is not buying into that, then that that's a hope that it won't regress. Like, that's, that's a step in the right direction. Like, for me, looking at the, especially where I'm from, uh, the very rural white community, they're they're not moving in that direction. They're, they're, they're stagnant at best. Um, and it's like, they're, they're content to not improve. And that that's like, that's a sad thing. And I think, um, I think looking at like small town, black communities and Southern black communities, that's where they were for a long time is they were content with. It is what it is. And, and somewhere over the last 10 years or so, they got discontent with that. And they started looking for how do we, how do we make it better for ourselves? Because nobody else is gonna actually like it. They're gonna offer these promises, but they're not gonna deliver anything. It's gonna be status quo, unless we make it not be status quo. Um, and I, I think that's a step in the right direction. And I, that's a step that I don't see from my own, the the rural white community. The, they are still comfortable with just allowing the status quo to be what it is. And that, that's kind of a, so that's a disappointment for me, but a, a step in the right direction for, for black communities.
1: So what would you, and and again, what, what you bring that up? Why? Okay. I don't even want to ask. Well, I do. Cause yeah. I want to know why, why would you say it's that way? And what, would you say would be the catalyst? Because when you said it's a 10-year time span for us in the Black community that you're viewing, I can tell you 10 years ago, in 2013, 2012, we had what you could call a resurfacing of a pride in our HBCUs. And so because you, and again, mind you, always was touted and promoted in the community, but you saw it largely nationally as a reemergence. And so through that, you had a lot more opportunity to navigate. So 10 years forward, you have those graduates of HBCUs who now have children, who have nieces and nephews, little cousins, and they're listening to all these conversations over the 10 years. So I think that's what you see, I think, and I'm gonna contribute it primarily to the reemergence of the pride in HBCUs. So in that way, why and what do you think could be the catalyst for rural white America?
0: I think the reason that rural white America has hit this stagnation is, um, so if you looked at voting demographics in 2016, uh, a large portion of the Trump base was these stigmatized rural white communities the, uh, through the Rust Belt, through the Appalachians, um, d- down into the South, where they just, they have it as bad as any uh, stigmatized minority group. But without any of the perks, like you're not getting into you're not getting into college on a minority scholarship or anything like that. You're not getting any sort of uh, second look taken at you because you're from a extremely poor rural white community. Like you don't have any of those. You have all of the disadvantages without any of the perks. And so I think what happened was a lot of those communities just, um, they became defeated because they didn't see a way to win. They, A lot of those schools, the public schools in those areas are as bad as any like predominantly black inner city school, but they don't have the advantages of having been to or gone to one of those inner city black schools and having that uh, to use in college degree or college applications and stuff. Like they're not getting any advantages from, from going to a dirt poor rural school out in the middle of Tennessee somewhere. Uh, They just don't get, they just don't get into school. And so they have nowhere to go. They have nothing to do. There are no jobs where they're from. There are no, potential for jobs. Uh, The rare few will escape, but even a lot of those end up coming back because they don't know how to succeed because they haven't had good role models. They haven't had people teaching them how to be successful and how to plan towards being successful. And so they've just kind of been ground under heel for so long that they don't care anymore. And you saw that in kind of, it was uh, like the Trump vote of 2016 was kind of the the rallying cry vote of those people. And and there were a lot of demographics and there were a lot of statistics that showed that out, uh, but then nothing changed. So it was like you, you had your one, your one rallying cry of, Hey, we're still here, but then nothing happened. And so instead of finding something to build on, they just have stagnated further. And I'm not sure what the solution is other than a, other than a resurgence of rural America, which could be on the way with with things that are happening, and especially with uh, recession on the way and food shortages and stuff like that, rural America has the opportunity to see a resurgence in people trying to have their own farms, have their own food, have their own things of that nature. Uh, that's their time to shine. But mm-hmm. But they need people who know how to do that so that when it happens, they can actually put it into application. Like it's why we've moved out into the middle of nowhere and have our own big giant garden and have goats and chickens and all of this stuff. Like we know how to do that. And there are people who know how to do that. So as as things kind of shift over the next five years or so, maybe that rural white community can see its own resurgence in homesteading and stuff like that, and that you know that's what I'm hopeful for. But it's going to take it's going to take something to really light a fire under under that community's ass that hasn't happened thus far.
1: No, you're uh, uh, again. We there's always going to be that feeling feeling of hopelessness amongst a certain section of every community. No one escapes it um i would hope that there can become voices and i think back to 68 69 67 and in listening to what you're saying um and i'm sure being a student of history you know the efforts of fred hampton in chicago in his he was the originator of what you could call a rainbow coalition. And he connected with the young, I think they were termed. I have the book. I I don't want to, I don't want to take time out of the program. I think they were called the young Patriots at the time. I I don't want to mess up their name, but at that time, Fred Hampton was able to broker a quote unquote treaty with this organization as saying they respect our rights, we respect their rights because we believe as Black Panthers, power to the people. So yes, do what you gotta do to bring up from your bootstraps your community and then we'll bring up ours and then we have already brokered a deal through people that we trust on both sides and those become the voices that can help ignite that fire, because in the end, everybody, you know, as Clinton said, all boats will rise <laughs> because, you know, I'll never forget that. Boy, See, I'm old enough to remember that. I'm old enough to remember that. I'm old enough to remember the the, the the crime bill. I'm old enough to remember a lot of stuff that America did through Clinton and Bush daddy and Bush Jr. and, and you know, all of it. But anyway, my point is, you're right. Um, the feeling is there, but hopefully some voices will ri- rise, voices that, what we call voices of reason, not voices of, of, of war, because that, that could be the easiest voice that, that gets the crowd moving because they feel that disenfranchisement.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and hopefully, Hopefully seeing the resurgence of the black community, especially in like s- smaller communities, like where I'm from, mm-hmm. there are a lot of, like I said, like a lot of young black men my age who have stayed and raised families and doing really amazing things in their community. And hopefully seeing that, like, you, yeah, you know, as, as funny as it is the, the Clinton that all boats will rise, like hopefully people see that if this community is flourishing, why can't the... Those who are out in the, you know, the more rural parts, why can't they be doing things positive for them too? Like the, the jobs aren't coming back. So, sure. you know, in those communities, the jobs aren't coming back. So what it is going to be is what you make of it. And, and building entrepreneurial and working together as communities and then expanding those communities and building up each other together. Uh, having strong church, having strong church families, having strong um, entrepreneurial communities that take care of each other and and build what you have available uh, that's that's where things change and move forward um and move forward together too like not not independent of each other but both independent of and alongside because mm. that's that's going to make the entirety of the community better um you know we we can look at stuff from the 50s and 60s and look at these like For me, you know, coming from a small river town, there was a strong black community in that river town and there was a strong rural white community and they all worked together like there weren't huge problems. It was a community all together. Yeah, there was a white part of town and there was a black part of town. And when it was time to go pick cotton, everybody went to pick cotton, you know, both the rural white folks and the town black folks all went out to the fields and picked together you had your bag and you had to like you filled your bag for the day whether you were white black whatever everybody was in that field together and maybe maybe we're moving back in that direction like maybe we are sincerely getting past these times of uh of allowing the the isms to get pushed on us because it has been largely fabricated and i think people do Acknowledge that that's the case. We have more in common with each other. We have more in common with each other than we do with. um, I have more in common with you than I have with any white man in Washington, D.C. And and I think I think that the average person is starting to acknowledge that uh, we have more in common with each other than we do with the people who are telling us how bad things are in Washington, D.C. and in state houses all over the country.
1: No, you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. One of the things that, and again, this goes back to my mentoring uh, outline, no matter who the man is, no matter his age, um, we have to be willing, especially as men, to inst- to reinstitute that level of accountability that doesn't allow a man to escape what is true. And so what I mean by that is like you're saying, if, if I can view you inside my community and you're doing something right, I shouldn't feel just because you're white, I can't learn from you. I think the thing that that politicians have become so adept at, well, some, not all, ooh, a large majority, but not all, <laughs> they have become so adept at is playing with the approach. You can't go over there, because if you go over there, they're going to say this, or they're going to view you like this, or they're, no, grown man to grown man. If I can see that you can produce 10 tomatoes and I can only get two, what did you do to get them 10 tomatoes? Now, if you're the right kind of man, you're going to view me as being a man that wants to have more tomatoes just like he does, to sell. You're not my competition because I make tomatoes the way I make them, and they always going to belong to me. So you'll teach me. But it's also on the other side. Now, I'm going to throw a bomb and and we can figure out where the shrapnel is going to lie. I think one of the largest issues, and this goes back to politics, this goes back to what you were saying about what hopefully could happen in your small rural town some of the white residents watching some of the black residents we have to be able as a community of men to be willing to see that just because historically I was supposed to be viewed as having one foot further than you I can't come and humble myself in front of you. And I think, I think that is mainly the issue with a lot of rural white people. Now, if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong, because this is the part of the conversation that i really am excited for us to broach because i do respect you as a man. i've watched a lot of your content and i respect you and i'm gonna say this. i respect you because you're white and you're talking white and you're talking about things that affect white people from a white perspective. You're not trying to oh let me please everybody. Let me find the buzzwords, the keywords, the words that don't offend You're saying the things that white people probably say at the dinner table when it's just the family sitting around. And and here's the reason why I respect that. Because you do see the world different than I see the world. You do experience the world differently than I experience the world. The thought that I have, and that's why I call it the bomb, the thought that I have is that the majority of young, the majority of white men especially in rural areas, southern areas, the Rust Belt, the Appalachians, they have not released that I can and probably should put myself in a position to learn from a black man or an Asian man or a Latino man. Am I wrong? No, you're probably not
0: wrong at all, honestly. And whether that be I don't know that it's necessarily a uh, one of the isms as much as it's a pride thing it's mm. a um, for a lot of rural males there is the belief that they should be able to provide and that they should be able to do it without needing to ask for help um, I know i've I've struggled with that myself over over the years um, so, so did I. You know, not not being willing to ask for help, even when you're like literally drowning and just unwilling to ask for help because you, I should be able to do this. I shouldn't have to ask for others to give me advice. Um, yeah, I think I think that is a, a big thing. And. And also in those communities, I don't know that like I I was fortunate in that we always had older black gentlemen that worked on the farm for us. So I was around black culture more than, more than most probably uh, played sports. And so I hung out in the hood quite a bit when I was in high school. So like I was exposed to that more frequently uh, working in in the South in Arkansas and Mississippi. A lot of the guys who worked for me at different places that I worked throughout my career were black men in who lived in rough parts of small river towns. And so like, I got to know those guys and I got to know their culture and who they were and why they were the way they were. So like, I, I got more exposure to that than uh, probably the average redneck, you know, white rural person does. Um, so, so for me, that was a, it's always been a, an interesting learning procedure through life is to spend time with, with people who aren't like me and weren't raised like me, and to see that we really do have so much more in common than what on the surface you might expect. Uh, but I, I, I think generally speaking, there is a, a, a lot of pride in the rural white community that rural white America used to really be the backbone of the United States in agriculture and uh, industry and it's not anymore. And those, those communities have kind of lost what made them special in their own mind. And they don't know how to get that back. And they're too afraid to, to look for other ways to, to get it back or to look for help in how do you move forward? So, so, so then you have an unwillingness to, to learn and to change and to grow. And, uh, I think, uh, finding a way to move past pride and to, to view everyone else as not like you said with the tomato thing, like they're not our competition. They are someone going along this path at the same, like we're not, we're not competing. We're going parallel. And as I bring you along, you bring me along and we all get better. And, and I think there is a, uh, a pride, a level of pride that prevents that for, for many people, and and that's not just not just in my community. I mean that that happens everywhere. Um, finding ways to combat pride is probably the the biggest step towards uh, moving everybody in the right direction that we can that we could take.
1: You're right. You're 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 absolutely correct. As a as a man and you stand on your own two feet and you survey what's in front of you to know that you gotta better you gotta better yourself, you have to better your family, and you have to better your lineage, you definitely, you definitely want to ensure that whatever you need to do is what you can do and what you should do. But if you find yourself at a place where it's like, I need further guidance. I need further education. I need further information. I need further accommodation. That's the part of, like you just said, now I go into what's called community. Now, we would hope that it could be amongst those that relate to us the best that we can go to, but sometimes we have to go into the other portions of the community being the larger community, the American community, the world community, and we can receive all that, that we need to further ourselves. And then we give it back. We're not prideful with it. We give it back because that'll help that, that, that'll help keep the cycle moving.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like we, I feel like we covered a lot and I think we covered it really, really well. And there's so much more that can be, had out of this conversation like this this feels like a good uh jumping off point to build more going forward at some point if you would be interested and we'll get some uh hopefully get some feedback from this episode and be able to use that to to expand the conversation out and to find other stuff that both for you know for like my community and for your community ways that we can make these conversations meaningful and help where that we do build each other's communities up, whether we're going alongside each other, parallel, not trying to be, uh, not trying to be in competition because that's, that's not the direction we should be going. We're not, we are not competition. We are trying to build one, one community just from multiple different angles.
1: Hey, I'm, I'm open. I'm, I'm excited. And the thing that I really do want to say, uh, like I said, it, it, it literally comes down to and, and again, I'm speaking about men for men in the direction towards men. It all comes down to are you willing to put yourself in a position where you better yourself, better your family, better your lineage without bringing degradation or subjugation to your neighbor? You got to figure that out. And and again, if I start progressing and I see that you have a desire to want to progress and you come to me, humble yourself and come to me, I want to progress. I shouldn't I shouldn't turn you away and be like, Haha, whatever, get it out, you know, get it on your own and then turn around and carve out a bunch of Oh my God! What's the word I'm looking? Regulations and laws and edicts and customs that will then carve you out of the opportunity to get it. Oh, I'm gonna reject you, and then I'm gonna set something in place that you're not gonna be able to thrive from. That's 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 not as men. That that's that's horrific. That's horrific as a man.
0: <laughs> yeah, as men, we should be we should be working to build ourselves better. But we should also be building those around us as well. You're, you're, we are all in this together, one way or the other. Like we are, we're all brothers in making this a better community. If my community is better and your community is better, and I can help you and you can help me, that's what we should be moving towards at all times.
1: Man, I thank you for the opportunity. I do look forward. And, and again, um, enjoy the rest of your enjoy the rest of your day, man. Love on your family, okay? Yes, sir. You too. All right now.
0: You, you
1: enjoy the rest of your day, man.
0: Yes, sir. And thank uh-huh. you for everybody that tuned in. I will be back on Wednesday with a brand new episode. And in the meantime, hope you all have a good one. And I will catch you later.